You guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome to the garage and welcome to another episode of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis and I'm joined as I always am by my bosom buddy, Bobby Castrone. Hey, Bob. Hey, Dan. This is going to be a good one tonight. Tell me why. Well, what I just witnessed while the song was playing, <laughs> you uh, you bumped into your heavy coaster. Yeah. It's, it's a heavy coaster. I didn't bump into it. it the I guess the condensation, it, it stuck. The glass of the Tito soda stuck to the coaster and it made a loud sound. It angered you. I saw it, it angered it had. It was the second time in 45 seconds. Yeah. And that was it. No, that was it. So you proceeded to pick it up throw it at a what is what are these things they look like car seats that you ripped out of a car and you brought into the garage yeah they're chairs for midgets but since our <laughs> you children can't, wait, you can't say that anymore That's undersized not... humans <laughs> okay sure i'm okay with that <laughs> uh but um apparently in texas where my wife is from uh she had similar chairs they're they're like mini almost rocking chairs for little little boys and i have two little children four and two jack and harrison so they sit in their little chairs, and uh, if we ever do have uh, midgets over, they can they also sit there. They, they won't appreciate being called that. I feel like there's probably a car outside on blocks, <laughs> just stripped down for parts, and that's what you put in here. But anyway, so you threw your heavy coaster at it. It made another loud noise. It bounced off and rolled all the way to me. So it's going to be a fun... You're angry. Are you angry, or is it just well, like that goes there's back. a lot I'm of I'm certainly energy. not angry, okay, but that good. does go back to that um, when we were named one of the top... 10 music podcasts of 2018 um, by, what was it, The Decider? Pod, Pod Ranker. Pod Ranker. Um, they did remark that I had some type of anger management issue, so maybe maybe he he saw things. They saw things. They he know. understood things. Yeah. Heard things, more likely. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, you are listening to one of the top 10 podcasts from 2018 in the music subcategory. According to w- according exactly to one person. Literally one person. That we've never met, which is a good thing. <laughs> Um, because it's unbiased. But listen, we we've been away for a week, right, Bob? We were. I think our last episode was on last week with Ricky Hollywood. Oh, good, and that was a great show. That was fun. It was fun uh, doing uh, Justin Timberlake with Erica. Uh, but we're back in our sweet spot right now, Bob. Not to typecast us, but uh, we're back in the '90s. We're hitting the grunge scene hard, and we're doing it because of our Patronis, aren't we? Yes. I thought you meant we were back in our sweet spot because it's just me and you again. Right. And we kind of, we, we need this right. as friends. Just two guys with like semi-erections talking to each other, right? Yours is only semi? That is tremendous. <laughs> that is a tremendous semi. Thank yeah, we, we are back in our sweet spot. We're going to the 90s. We're going to 94. And the reason we're going back- How many shows have we done from 1994? All of them. Point? I think all of them. <laughs> Uh, Hell of a year for music. The reason we're going back to 94 is our Patreonies, patreon.com slash throwbackpod once a month. Love you guys. For the $6 tier and above, you get to vote in a poll to tell us what to do. And this month, Soundgarden killed the competition. They doubled up, basically. The Red Hot Chili Peppers. The Chili Peppers, you know, for one of the biggest bands of the last 25 years, they... I feel like this is at least the second time they, they were taken down in a poll. Yeah, is it's that one, of the, one of the biggest bands that I think is probably the number one band people ask us about on Twitter hmm. that can't win a goddamn poll. Interesting. They just can't pull it over the finish So line. Uh, the Chili Peppers got taken down. And it's funny because they were all about their polls. 
mm. cupping their, mm. their their penises mm-hmm. with socks. With socks. Yeah. What a move. Save it for the like episode. That be allowed. Save it for the episode. That That's may right. Because we're not talking about it. Who knows? People don't want us to talk about. People the don't beverage. want that. And it's you, too dangerous. And you know what people definitely don't want? What? They don't want us to talk about Stone Temple Pilots. They got destroyed. What is up with that? I don't know. I like STP. I thought that was going to be a very close poll. We've had some ties in the past we've had some really close ones you know was two polls that one. were close it was uh, dave navarro uh, and Kedis in that one video uh don't people don't want to hear about it all the warped. way all the way warped. they kissed yeah warped yeah they, they tongue kissed and that their dicks weird. were next to each other when right they next to each other two poles maybe on top of each other maybe you think they went right. left right or top bottom i think they were just smushing they kissing each other right at the the, the penis tips <laughs> it was weird so this episode is brought to you by the patreon specifically <laughs> Our top tier sponsors, Pettit and Mattis. Love those motherfuckers. Don't forget about Bruno, the sponsor. Bruno. These guys keep us running as well as everybody else. So thank you guys for doing this. It's pretty awesome. And uh, Dan, you know what I did today? Um, Don't say it. You masturbated for sure. That is correct. You know what else I did though? Like in between bouts. <laughs> uh, like, bouts? Like it's like a, some type of medical malady like, you're dealing it's with? It's Mike Tyson's punch out. There, there's different <laughs> rounds. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't know what you did at all today, Bob. It's th- the first time we've spoken in months. It, it's, that is true. I threw out a question on Twitter. Just said, hey, not even a question. Hey, ask us something. What do you want to know? Ooh, yeah. you did an ask us anything? I did. An AUA. Did people... Uh, oh, gangbusters. Give a shit? Gangbusters. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I also asked the patronies. We give them priority because they're the best. We do. Yeah, but don't hit that too hard. We like anybody. No, we like everybody. Yeah. Thing. Tell your friends. <laughs> oh, rate and review on iTunes. We never tell people to do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is, we are overdue for that. Uh, it really does. And this is the same thing with my other podcast that people uh, listen to. Um, it's very hard to um, really in the industry of pod to decide what's popular, what shows doing well, what sponsors are, are attracted to, um, how to judge growth. But one thing that does carry weight is the um, iTunes reviews. Mm-hmm. So if you could leave us five stars, leave a review. It doesn't even have to be a nice review. Any review, uh, we'd be much appreciative. And how about this? If you're not a Patroni Ooh, and you're not giving us any money, right? and we're not judging you because I listen to a lot of podcasts that I don't pay for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're not doing that, why don't you leave a review? I think that's fair. I think that's you know, a not fair. Not be such a fucking asshole. Right now, yeah. I mean, you're right. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I'll calm down. So we got some Go great ahead, we got some great questions. Let's not get stuck on any of these. Sometimes we tend to overthink these. Last time we did a mailbag, we, did we one. answered one question <laughs> for like at fifteen about minutes. Fifth, yeah, at, yeah, at about forty queries. All right, so I'll throw some out there to you. Okay. Mike Burdett wants to know what albums have some of your favorite or most memorable cover art. See, this is one of the, this is a mistake. But you this gotta, is one that you really you have send to me think before. About. I have to I think best album covers. I don't know, just name one of your shitty U2 covers and move on. There's like a whole U2 mural behind me. That doesn't... I do like the Act Tongue Baby cover. Uh, but all right, I'll throw one out there. We did uh, Springsteen, Born in the USA is iconic. Born to Run uh, with him and Clarence is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I'll be cliche. Abbey Road, that's great too. That is good. I like that Pearl Jam avocado cover. Well, you uh, you also... We talked about it when we did the 10 podcast, that shitty uh, album cover when there were a bunch of like bros shooting their hands in the sky that's a that's, that's a bad not no that is a great album cover uh never mind is also iconic it's I mean, iconic i liked uh megadeth's youth in asia 
uh, cover, oh, yes, where it was like a, a lot of little babies hanging from clotheslines, like somebody doing the laundry. It was weird. And on the topic of uh, of Pearl Jam, I still have not forgiven them for Vitology. Yeah, that's annoying. Which you know they put it in uh, a book form, and you had to turn it sideways, and it always stood out in your CD collection on your rack, and I'm, I'm still dealing with that. You know what I like? Not we're, we're getting too deep now, but you know what I like? You did I, it. I like when a band has like an aesthetic on their album covers, like Cake. They don't have any great album covers, but they're all kind of similar, and they just have their own look. Like I like that. I You're like the first person that. to think about a Cake album cover in, <laughs> well, actually, ever. ever. Even in like 2000, no one had ever thought about that before. Uh, Dave Russell wants to know, we hear about corporations and crazy wealthy individuals hiring a famous musician for a private set. If money get was get a grip, Aerosmith, the the nipple if, uh, rings through the cow's that's udder. A, that's an awful one. Awful. If, if money no, was amazing. no object, what current artist or band would you hire to come to the garage and perform and then hang out with? I'll answer it while you think about it because uh, you know I, I read these and I thought about this one. Yeah, go ahead. So my thought process is. I feel so bad for these artists when they're doing those meet and greets that you know they don't want to do. Yes. So I would want to make sure whoever's coming to the garage kind of wants to be here or they'll at least like have fun doing it. Yes. So I'm going to go with Andrew WK. Yes. That's a great choice. Because he would be fun to watch perform live. He would just probably have a little keyboard. Do it like what he used to do, where he would just play the songs. He'd be pounding beers the whole time, smashing the cans against his head. He's a smart dude. And then we'd have fun with him. So yeah. We'd have a good time. I want Andrew WK to come by. Um, that's a great choice. Uh, the book that you read and lent to me, Bob, that I'm digging into now and I'm loving it, which yeah. is the, um, meet me in the bathroom. Meet me in the bathroom. Lizzie Goodman. Lizzie Goodman wrote about the New York rock scene at the turn of the century, which is fucking awesome. So far. So good. Just now starting to get into the strokes. Uh, but one thing that really, and I'm sure I know you definitely felt the same way that really, I already love the band and they, they hold a special place. In my heart as a music fan, but when they said these guys get, got compared to Velvet Underground and Lou Reed and this and that and all these like uh, what you would call um, television, television, yeah. like the cool type of uh, background music that you would get into uh, to have as influences. But they were really just dudes that love grunge. They yeah. love Soundgarden. They love Pearl Jam. They love Nirvana. Uh, they were like us, basically. So I, it would be fun to hang out with the Strokes. Get them in here. Now, they're, maybe they hate each other. I don't know. They hate each other, and they're they're too cool for us. Yes, but they also, I think... Yeah, you're right. <laughs> what else, Bob? Uh, Didi Megadudu, at Mikey Blackheart on uh, Twitter, wants to know, what is the most embarrassing music purchase you made in a store? Mm, that's good. I remember driving home when we were working at TGI Fridays together back in the summer of 2000, right? Yep. And... Uh, it was cool just like making money and like leaving with cash every night. Right. So I remember driving and hearing a song on the radio and just being like, oh, that's cool. It was on like 89.3. It was on like one of those lower FM stations that like sure. comes Poor in. Signal. Kind of, yep. And I was like, I'm going to go get this because it's like a cool college rock band. So I went to Tower Records with like the cash I made from serving mozzarella sticks all night. And I bought. Surveying, you mean eating them, you pig? <laughs> no, we would eat the free garlic bread, which is even worse. It's like, oh yeah, let's watch our uh, let's watch our waistlines this summer, so we can get laid. We're only going to eat the uh, <laughs> breadsticks at Fridays, which no joke probably had five hundred calories in one. More stick. than that, that are soaked in butter all day. Fucking pigs! Uh, so I stopped at Tower Records on the way home, 
and bought. The only thing worse than a pig is a dumb pig. <laughs> we were dumb pigs. Uh, I bought the Five for Fighting CD. Okay, I have a similar one. Uh, five for Fighting. Those are Superman. The Superman guy, right? Yeah, I can't stand oh, to fly. That is pretty bad. <laughs> but this was before, that wasn't the song I heard on the radio. They had a song called Easy Tonight that I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Maybe this band will be cool. And it was not. You thought after? Um, no, it wasn't. The Superman song came later. But the fact. Are you sure? I'm dead positive. I the song was called Easy Tonight, and I was like, these guys might be really cool. And then this came. This was like a hit for them a few months later. Listen to that voice. What a nightmare. Um, my choice would be um, after my college girlfriend broke up with me and destroyed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was digging out from the wreckage, we would occasionally. You're still have, digging, by the way. There's yeah, still a little record around you that. at all times. I'm working through that. Um, we would have these conversations, and then one of the conversations was, "Oh, uh, she." said oh, I love the this guy Gavin DeGraw so I was so I was so injured emotionally that uh, the first thing I did after that conversation was go to the local Tower Records and buy Gavin DeGraw's uh, debut which had a couple bangers on him I was gonna say him. I remember you trying to sell me on Gavin DeGraw like you made that mistake and you were just trying to push it back on me dude you you don't believe in <laughs> Chariot dude this was the song that you fucking love <laughs> Still dancing to it. Dude, this is a great song. You don't buy into DeGraw Chariot? I'm not buying it. I'll rent it. I'm not going to buy it. Dude, it was on the Dawson's Creek Season 4 soundtrack. <laughs> season so, four. eat a dick. And something watermelons. All right. One last, I mean, but no, a, I mean, in retrospect, it was fairly embarrassing. There's a lot of questions I wanted to get to, but one last one because we got to move on at some point. I'm going to um, keep Gavin uh, as the uh, imbe- embedded uh, music here. Uh, Benjamin McClellan wants to know, when did you two first know you'd be lifelong friends? Was there a specific moment when your friendship became a bro-ship? Um... I don't know about all that, but I I, I am watching um, a show on Hulu right now um, called Pen15. You plugged in on this at all? Though? Penis? Yeah. Um, which is an uh, just not a, her- a horrible name Terrible. for a show. Uh, but the Lonely Island guys uh, produce it, and it's about uh, a coming-of-age story about two uh, eighth-grade girls, seventh-grade girls, um, set, and this is what I do like about it, in 2000. Oh, that's cool. Which we haven't done yet. Right. 80s been done ad nauseum. 70s, 90s now has been overplayed. Now, right. This is set. The show opens in late August 2000, mm-hmm. and it documents um, that awkward time in your life. I'd say that made me think of that when you asked that question. We were... At the, those horrible soccer practices. Yeah, I, I don't have this specific moment, but it definitely. Shut the fuck up. No, <laughs> oh, what were you saying? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> no, it was not a specific moment, but we definitely bonded over the fact that neither of us could juggle a soccer ball. That was fucking some bullshit. And we would be there with a the varsity team practicing. We were with all these like dudes that were. Like seniors that were getting laid and had were, pubes. I mean, I had pubes, but Dan didn't have pubes yet. <laughs> not even close. Not even close. <laughs> and here we are, like lowly ninth graders practicing with varsity, and we'd have to 
juggle a soccer ball. And if you couldn't do a certain number, the entire team would have to do a perimeter. It was either 10 or 20. Yeah. Which, whatever it was, was too much. We were just incapable of doing it. Yeah. So we definitely would bond afterwards, like walk to Walgreens together, just being like, fucking varsity kids hate us. Now, at least I, I did. I was playing goalie, so nobody expected the goalies typically. You had you were supposed to be a like a midfielder or a fullback or somewhere a defender. Um, it was even more pressure on you. Like you were expected to be able to at least juggle ten times. I felt it. I felt it, and I failed them every single time. <laughs> um, so there so you go. So it was then. It, it was juggling. Yeah, it was because of that, and then we would just in between two a days hang out at Walgreens and drink uh, Arizona so iced teas. <laughs> we should be way fatter. We should be fatter than we are. That is, it's true. Yeah. Uh, anything else, Bob? I mean, we got a lot of them, but let's uh, let's move on. All right, we should move Thank on. Thank you be- to everybody. Because before we get to Soundgarden, I do want to bring up because again, um, it's been it's been months. I feel like since we've been in the garage together, Bob, because it was before the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and everything like uh, BSB and PSB is like two different worlds. For me. Yeah. I almost you're, died in Atlanta. You're a different man. Um, our favorite new song. For me, last six months or so, easy. And an old friend and a, a friend of the podcast in the sense that we did a um, show on her former band. Oh, oh, yeah. We just touched base with uh, Jenny Lewis. Red Bull and Hennessy. Is this our, is this, is this our certified first favorite song of 2019? Yeah, I think it is. Let's listen to it for a second. Oh, to answer that earlier question, my favorite album cover of all time is the is new the Jenny new Lewis Jenny Lewis song. single. Yeah. <laughs> New album on the line, Jenny Lewis, still doing the damn thing. I love at the end of the song, so everybody should go listen to it. At the end of the song, she does a little like CD skip where it, like, it reminds you yes. of what that used to sound like when it would just kind of like sputter. I was out on the, the fence end. about that because it's a, it, the song ends in a very abrupt manner. Um, it's not great for trying to get radio airplay, but I don't think that's what Jenny not Lewis is even probably. in the game for. Nope. She's, she kn- She's in the game to make us happy, again, as evidenced by the album cover. Right, exactly. Uh, should we, uh, is there a lot to get to from the time of this album release, Bob, or should we skip to the number one Let me song? just, I'll go quick. Okay. So this album came out March 8th, 1994. Uh, in the month of March, Bret Hart won the WWF Championship at WrestleMania X. I remember? was there. You were. You, oh, that's where you were at. At WrestleMania yes. ten. Bitch. Oh, so I guess we can't just get right through it. Madison Square Garden, uh-huh. March twentieth, nineteen ninety four. <laughs> okay. Do you, and you, of course, you remember who he defeated? Uh, Bret Hart, I believe he took out Yokozuna. That is correct. And it was a. Um, it really. As I, in retrospect, I was a huge wrestling fan, um, professional wrestling fan from. Two exact moments. WrestleMania six, 
Hogan v. Warrior at the Sky Dome in Toronto. Uh, I remember watching that scrambled on the cable box and being enthralled by it, this idea of these two titans mm-hmm. um, squaring off. And I fell in love with wrestling in April 90. And then I was as big a professional wrestling fan as you could find, or at least WWF. I didn't fuck with WCW. Um, uh, from spring 90 to about, I'd say like winter uh, 93 and I was starting to lose the juice uh, when WrestleMania 10 came to the garden in New York in March of 94. So it was kind of my last gasp as a, a pro wrestling fan. Um, but it wasn't the, the, the best match was not that Bob. The best I match. I know. I wrote it down. The fucking ladder match. Yep, bro. The, the legendary ladder match, which was uh, Shawn Michaels v. Razor Ramon. Was it? That is correct. Yeah, and that was a great match. I also remember um, not the new kids on the block. They were called NKOTB at that point. They were the celebrities uh, that were involved in the mix in some level. I remember that. That's where WWF was. That it was a dark time for the WWF post Hogan, mm-hmm. pre uh, Stone Cold, pre the Attitude Era. Yep. Um, but the latter match was historic. Also historic. Uh, John Candy died. That fucking sucked. That sucked. But, but you, you know what? With yeah. death comes uh, rebirth. rebirth. Yeah. Justin Bieber was born. Same day. <laughs> I don't know about the same day. Oh, same oh. month. I didn't write it down. You know, we, we often joke, by the way, about, um, well, we don't joke about it, but Kurt Cobain killed himself. Wait, did what? you know that? What? <laughs> he did. He did. A month later. Today? Oh. But the same day that John Candy died um, in Mexico on the set of Wagons East of a massive heart attack. Kurt Cobain attempted suicide in Rome. Mm, that's right. Same day. About that. Right. I'd like to think that Justin Bieber is John Candy reincarnated with like the one goal of like staying skinny. Oh, that's a great thought. Yeah. Is it weird that Bieber, um, we don't have time. For no, this. we don't. It's just that he, he's, he's really trying actively to be an ugly person now. <laughs> I don't, and I don't know what's up with that. Go ahead. Movies that came out that month. Four weddings in a funeral. D2, the mighty ducks, major league two. The Ref starring Dennis Leary. The Chase starring the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> I saw that movie in the theater, straight up. Really? I, yes. that, that was like one Charlie of those. Charlie Sheen yes. and Christy Swanson. And that was on TV on, I think, Request all the time. <laughs> There's a line that was in the trailer because uh, Charlie Sheen was like sticking up a convenience store. And he's like, kick the gun to me. And then the guy kicks the gun far away and he goes, yeah. way to go, Pele. Good move. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great bit. Sheen, who has HIV, by the way. Yes, that wonder, is true. I hope he has that. On. <laughs> I'm sure it is. But yeah, Anthony Kiedis and Flea. In Wait, the you're sure that I'm sure he does. Charlie Sheen has his HIV under control? I'm positive. I hope so, too. Uh, Flea and Kiedis played like crazy guy, like white trash guys in a big like truck. Yeah, that, that like wanted over. to like stop the, the pursuit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the Naked Gun 33 and a third. Loved it. Loved it. No, the whole Hanses family saw that in the theater. Keith, <laughs> Deb, was a, Shea, It was an event Kevin, for the Hanses family. And Danny all went. And Dan, the number one alternative rock song in March 1994, when this album came out. You know what the fuck it is. You probably, or you probably don't. Once there was this kid who got into an accident and couldn't come to school, but we finally came back his hair 
I turned from black into bright white He said that it was from when the cousin smashed his Two thoughts about this, Bob. One, I had no idea before, but it makes so much sense that this, uh, the Crash Test Dummies mm-hmm. were a Canadian mm-hmm. folk rock group. This, this is the most Canadian thing I've ever this heard. This is so fucking Canadian. And the other thing is, is this song could never be popular today. But in this like small window in the early 90s is the only time this could have happened that it would end up being... A number one song in Australia, Belgium, Denmark, Germany, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, and number one on the U.S. modern rock charts. I am shocked. This might be what caused Kurt Cobain to kill himself. I am shocked that this came so late. I could have sworn this was like 92, 93. But no, this was like in the height of grunge and alternative. Somehow this song took over. I mean, I don't know. White people, man. And by the way, I loved it. But I was a kid. What did I know? The whites, the whites, man. I was like, there's a bland white guy with straight hair, as straight as your hair could get. And a totally absurd baritone voice. Just totally like, absurd. No reason he should be in a rock band. And you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb, Dan, and say, probably the second best voice we're going to hear tonight. <laughs> Not counting the guy from Five for Fighting. I mean, don't leave Gavin DeGraw out of the conversation. <laughs> that guy. Sorry, man. He's out. Bang out a note. The great, late Chris Cornell. Unmistakable. There's only one Chris Cornell. I'm back. Let me drown the leadoff track of Super Unknown by Soundgarden. One of the very biggest and best albums of the 90s. Hubba hubba. Oh my God. This just, it took me back. Like I, I, I transported for a minute. That doesn't happen a lot. In this just took you back. Yeah, and you know not what? since almost impossibly we did a blind out a blind melon album. <laughs> have I been have you been transported? I know. No, it was crazy because when the song started, I was like, for some reason, I was like, because I haven't listened to this in forever, and I was like, I don't recognize this. And then once it really kicked in, I was like, I'm 14 again, still full, masturbating furiously, full, full bush of pubes. But uh, stop rubbing it in. <laughs> Stop rubbing your pubes in my face. <laughs> but yeah, this was, I loved Soundgarden because as a fan of grunge music, it was required to love Soundgarden. 
Right, but it wasn't as if it was a test. It was not a test. Yeah, yeah they no, were they, legit, and, and they they came like, from you, that scene in, in an authentic you, way in Seattle. Right, you couldn't be a fourteen year old and be like, I like grunge, but I hate Soundgarden. Like, no, if you're gonna like it, you have to be in on this. Well, here's the thing about Soundgarden, to me, and I always enjoyed Soundgarden as a, uh, in terms of their singles. I'd never had an album of theirs, so on some level, they fell, but they somehow fell between the cracks for me, but. There were people that would draw the line in the sand with Pearl Jam Mm -hmm. and be like, and a lot of people took their cues from Kurt Cobain, who famously did not respect Pearl Jam musically, um, and say, oh, Pearl Jam, they suck. They're they're not as good as Nirvana. But Soundgarden never dealt with any of that blowback, and it's probably because they... They were as... Not that Pearl Jam wasn't authentic to the Seattle sound, but they were pioneers of that era mm-hmm. like they were around in the late 80s yeah think. they were a band that was around a lot longer I, th- I was reading something recently just about like guns and roses driving up from la to seattle to open for soundgarden and then when they got there oh, they oh, were like, appetite for destruction era right yeah well, yeah it was like before they broke and they were like who the fuck are these guys like it was just a completely different sound even then uh is this i mean it sold nine million copies and everyone knows a couple of the songs on the album, but would this be on the grunge Mount Rushmore, this album? I think so. Definitely. It's gotta be, right? I think so once we hit the singles. Never mind, not even close. I mean, that's going to be there. I think 10 has to be there. Yeah. Right? Uh, I think Super Unknown has yeah. to be on there. And then um, there, there, there's Not a, a Surf, High Low. There's a strong, I, I would put that on there, uh, or any of the Cake albums. There's a strong Alice in Chains contingent that yes. would say you have to put Jar of Flies on there. And it would be hard to deny that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll put the chains on there. Okay, that's nice of you. Because, okay. The guy, um, Jerry Cantrell. Yeah. Like Chris Cornell, um, lead singer of Alice in Chains, Lane Staley, also dead. Um, but Jerry Cantrell is like a big <laughs> fantasy football fan. So every once really? in a while, I'll be um, in the... Um, the makeup room at NFL network and um, during the season. And I'll look over like, who's this like older dude with long hair that I don't recognize. I'm like, Oh, it's Jerry Cantrell That's of Alice in Chains. Cause he'll do uh, spots on the fantasy show on the network. That's so cool. All right. I mean, it's not like I get anything out of it. It's not like I'm like, Oh, Hey, Jer. He doesn't give a but fuck you about could. me. You could you got a music podcast. <laughs> Like, fuck you. You want to come hang out in my rented garage? Oh, here we go. Now daddy's in. This is a banger. 
My Wave, which was the fourth single out of five on the album. But this is one of, we talk about this sometimes, the modern rock radio, whether it's terrestrial radio or on satellite. If you want to have a little cred and you don't want to play Black Hole Sun yeah. or Fell on Black Days or uh, one of the more popular ones, throw on my wave. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is the good shit right here. This is great. It's funny to think about how much uh, grunge musicians love surfing. You know, like Eddie Vedder, big surfer. You say it's funny to think? Yeah, it's weird. Like fun, I don't know, like funny how? No, it's it's like fucking funny. hilarious, it dude. Fucking you don't see how funny this is? No, it's weird because like you would just picture these people miserable smoking cigarettes, like drinking coffee at a diner, but it's doing like, heroin. I'm doing heroin. Yeah, but like Eddie Vedder, love. I like that you try to like whitewash the grunge era of its like nasty cigarettes habits. and coffee. It's like, cigarettes and coffee. That's how we get by every day. It's I like mean, track marks shooting up and for, down each arm. For the kids, toes. for the kids today, that's enough to make them unlikable. As characters, like they smoke cigarettes. Oh, we protect. Oh, we got to protect the legacy. Right? We got to protect them. Uh, your point, Bob, that the surf. Well, we knew it's Eddie weird. Vedder famously it's in weird. San Diego. It makes sense that like Sublime would like to surf. Yeah. It's weird that these were like. As the legend goes, brothers. like Eddie Vedder was just like sitting on a surfboard, and uh, like Jeff Ament like floated over to him like yeah. in a dream. <laughs> like there was a bottle with a cassette tape in it, and Eddie Vedder played it and wrote the words to Alive. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, wait, how did you get a tape deck out here? <laughs> Um, I like my wave a lot. That was a, that was it was a hit, right? It was like a it modern was, rocket. It was okay. not a like a massive hit, but it peaked at number eleven on the Billboard mainstream rock tra- uh, tracks. And um, yeah, I think if if you're, it just reminds you of how many great like songs they had in terms of just from a pure uh, radio standpoint mm-hmm. uh, for about a five year period there that they just from the Bad Motor Finger album to what was it? The um, oh yeah, the Noose one, uh, that album. Yeah, that uh, I can't remember the name. Whatever of it. it was, like ninety to ninety-seven. Yeah, they, it just like was probably fifteen hits, and they had. I don't know if you plugged in on this, Bob. Maybe this should have been because we did see Pixies and the Weeze and Weezer. The Weeze, Pixies the Weez. and the Weeze. That sounds like a Weez. great seventies uh, action show. Exactly. Um, at the forum uh, a few months back. Last month, did you hear about the Chris Cornell tribute concert, which was I wild? Did hear about it? Yeah, it was a crazy lineup. They had an insane. It went on for hours and hours. All these huge artists, and um, it makes sense that you could trot out artists for five straight hours, and you there were enough great Soundgarden songs that people that were just even casual fans would be like, "I know this song. Yeah, I know that song. I know this song, and everybody knows this song." Yeah. Miley Cyrus getting pop for her uh, performance, by the way. We'll plug in on that later.
right now. No, not yet, not yet, not, not yet. yet. But not I yet. love that. Yeah. Uh, this one, the, uh, the first track where I've transported you is someone that remembers the singles. Uh, really, this reminds me of like modern rock radio in the mid '90s. Yeah, this was on all the time. All the time, and it um, peaked at number four on the Bill, uh, Billboard mainstream rock charts. And if you listen to radio today, this is one of those songs that still gets played a ton. Yeah. All the time. People love this one. Do you? I do. I mean, I definitely got fed up with it. I didn't in, appreciate it in real time. But yeah. I got, back, back in the mid-90s, it, it was It got on really constantly. overplayed. And you know what? There were a lot of songs like this at the time, where it was like the mid-tempo, kind of slower, dreary grunge songs, which define the genre but it was also there were a lot of them like Stone Temple Pilots had songs like this Pearl Jam had songs like this there were a lot of the ripoff bands at the time were doing this kind of sound so it just kind of all became one thing to me I it's funny like you said grunge this might be to me the grungiest grunge song yeah kind of I think like what does grunge music sound like which it's kind of a little bit dreary and dark but has some you know, mm-hmm. big, a big chorus like this is grunge music of the '90s. I would say for me, this and "Core" by Stone Temple Pilots are like the two yeah. albums that are like the grungiest albums I listened to at the time. Where do they? Where does Soundgarden fall for you on your like grunge power rankings? The grunge Mount Rushmore, <laughs> or even just power rankings? Well, we did Mount Rushmore. I guess we did Mount Rushmore. Are yeah. they ahead of Nirvana for you? No. Pearl Jam's your one. Right? Yeah, that's my one. They're ahead of Allison Chains. Oh, Allison definitely Chains. ahead. Yeah, I, I I think I would put them ahead of Stone Temple Pilots too. So I think it would go. I mean, it's probably like the lamest order, or maybe it's not. Who knows? But I would go. Don't be self conscious. Pearl Jam, Nirvana. You're safe in the rented garage. Soundgarden, STP. Was STP grunge? Yeah, they were. Yes, they definitely. Who are we leaving out that people are going to be like, you guys do a music podcast and some, you didn't bring some up a- X? Some asshole is going to be like, what about Mud Honey? <laughs> yeah, calm down with Mud Honey. <laughs> oh, wait, Mother Love Bone's not on there? <laughs> um, Like that song. Don't love it. It's nice to hear it again. It's nice to hear it again. It's nice to like what we do in this garage. Listen and like pay attention to it versus immediately turning it off right. on the radio. It's good to revisit it. Yes. All right. Uh, we keep moving to track five. This is Mailman. Is this about your coworker Chris Wessling? <laughs> this is. This is about Wes. Mailman doing anything for you, Bob? The one trick, yes. The one trick that Soundgarden had up their sleeve that those other bands didn't is Chris Cornell's voice. Like, he could take that grungy sort of it was outrageous growl and then just, it was, yeah, it was incredible. And then just do this. Like, even a song like this, which I think 
if STP did this song, it would just kind of like stay down in this place. Yes, you, right you could soar. And then Cornell. he, yeah, Cornell soars. So it makes a song like this, which could be nothing, something. Um, you bring up like a good point. If and obviously he was, um, you know, beset by personal issues, and it led to his death a couple of years ago. But if you could be anybody from that scene, wouldn't you be Chris Cornell? You would be the best looking dude in a band that everyone respected and you had incredible music ability. You could write hit songs and you had the best motherfucking voice of your generation. Like, it, it does tell it's, you like... It's, the, hard. it's so hard to play this game when three out of... Or four out of five of these guys... Gavin DeGraw just came up earlier in well, the show. Well, there's DeGraw, but also four out of five of these guys are dead. I know that it does. Look, I was just about to it's say tough like, to the play madness this game. of the human mind that right. all these dudes are offing themselves. I know as it's they like, well, older, I would be Mike McCready from Pearl Jam because nobody paid that much attention to him and he's still kicking. You could do that move. You could be I the mean, guy. We, someone said, I was at the Super Bowl. Um, someone said to me, like, the person you absolutely want to be if you're in the entertainment business is the lead guitarist of Maroon 5. <laughs> you have. You make a great living. Yes. You live in L.A. Better than great. Yeah. You have um, everything you could ever want, and nobody gives you any bullshit. Like, you don't have to deal with all the mountains of shit and criticism that Adam Levine gets, for instance. Right. And then it just so happens as I'm walking through the the bowels of uh, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium or Dome or whatever the fuck it's called, um, I find myself, I look up, I'm right behind the guitarist in Maroon 5, He's got long hair. He's super skinny. Um, he's wearing a stylish jacket. He's with a woman that looks like like an evolutionary Kate Moss. So mm -hmm. probably his wife. Probably they have two beautiful children together somewhere uh, in Malibu right. where they live. And they're going to get into a cart to be taken to the private jet, the car that takes them to the private jet. And I was like, there you go. The next morning and even on social media that night, Maroon 5 getting absolutely fucking hammered. But who's really getting destroyed? One man. Levine. The guitarist? He's Nobody, going to bang. Don't even know his name. His incredibly hot wife on their private jet on the way back to Malibu. So fuck Chris Cornell. Here's, I'm going to be the guitarist in right, Maroon 5. All right. That's all, that, that's all a great case. Here's the other side of it. If you're that guy, counterpoint, every day you have to listen to Maroon 5. You know. There are worse bands than Maroon 5. Not many. I know it's not popular uh, sentiment in uh, America right now, but I was like, oh, that was the worst halftime show ever. It's like, yeah, it was, you know, it was fine. And here it is, about 45 minutes into the podcast, Dan Hansis, for the first time, admits he's a Maroon 5 fan. We've been coming to this moment for a while, and here it is. I mean, what I'm saying is there are a lot of bands to scorn, and if you want to get behind Maroon 5 for being kind of a soulless version of oh music. Oh my god, you're fucking defending Maroon 5 during the Soundgarden podcast? I am. Um, That's horrible. You, Wow, I don't even know you to, anymore. Um, Mailman and this uh, super, uh, super unknown song. But uh, yeah, there's, there are worse bands. Oof. I'll die on that hill if I have oh, to. I, don't, I want you to die on that hill. Here is Super Unknown.
I changed my mind. I want to be Chris Cornell. <laughs> Listen to those pipes. Those golden pipes. If you're a musician, how much do you love soundwriting? I feel like if you know anything about actually making music. Which we do. Well, uh, I mean, we've, of course. I can play the opening chords of Stand By Me off uh, Oasis' Be Here Now album. I could play part of Brick by Ben Folds 5 on the piano. Very good. I could play uh, off of... Uh, Everclear's album uh, Santa Monica I can play Darren out Darren out No I can't do that Oh you can't do the I can do Darren out Darren out I can do that We're musicians Is what I'm saying That's right So we appreciate the fact that Also we had a pretty nice Run in rock band About 10 years ago The old PS3 game This musically is very impressive. As musicians, we could say this. It's this coming. Is, this is coming from an authentic place, audience, is, is what Bob's saying. So incredibly done as a music song. <laughs> All that setup completely <laughs> savages what everything you're saying. It's right incredibly now. done as a music song, is what I want to say. It's incredibly done as a music song. <laughs> yes. Bob's right. Keep listening. Yeah, because we are musicians. <laughs> there are sounds and there are voices. <laughs> <laughs> There's recording equipment. <laughs> Just listen to the music in this song. Listen to how his voice makes sounds. Yeah, and the way that his voice and the sounds go with the other sounds from the instruments. <laughs> you don't get that anywhere else, people. <laughs> was, that our, that, was that our first after, like almost two years, our first attempt at music criticism? <laughs> I think we nailed it. Not yeah. attempt. I think it was success. Listen, it's a start. I've, uh, I'll, put, I'll, I'll say it's a start. All right. A bit of uh, admission. I'm plagiarizing myself from the uh, treatise I've written online about music and rock and roll. So I'm kind of like quoting myself when okay. I say it was a good music song. Where can people find that book? It's all over the internet. Uh, everywhere. Just Google the word music song. Music song sounds equipment. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Next track, Bob, we're about halfway through. Head down. Let's listen. They tune their instruments for getting this one going. I write about that on my site. I imagine. Yeah. All right, here we go. Head down. Get to work, Chris. Sounds like an MF to me, mid-album filler. You know what I wanted to say about the last song before we got into like deep into the, the music of it all? What I wanted to say about that song, and even this song, there's something kind of Beatles-y going on here. The last song kind of reminded me of Tomorrow Never Knows. 
is this after their meeting with like Ravi Shankar or something? I don't know, but there's something like this isn't like the way Nirvana was like, this is punk music. This isn't punk music. No, this does show. Yeah, a little, they're stretching things a yeah. little bit here, which is good. It's, it's kind of cool. welcome at this point in the yeah. album. Is it an MFR? Maybe. I'm not like loving this one, but. I don't have a lot to say about that. In fact, I'm going to tell you something about that's the last time I'll ever hear that. Fucking song <laughs> You're never going to hear it again. <laughs> Until 15 years from now, we forget that we did this album and we do it again. We'll do it again. Yeah. In this garage, uh, which will be burnt to the ground years earlier. But we're still sitting here. I'll just, yeah, we'll be sitting on a pile of fucking ashes because I'll burn this place down. In my eyes, in this pose, in disguise, no one knows. Has the face. I don't know why I'm playing for so long. Everybody knows this fucking song. I, um, Bob, my, this is how I'll start our conversation of Black Hole Sun, the most famous song this band ever put out. I feel like if you were born between, let's say, 1977 and 1982, you kind of have a complicated relationship with Black Hole Sun. That's fair. Keep going. I'm not sure if it's a good song. I mean, structurally, if we want to keep delving into our uh, music criticism. I don't know if this is a good song. I know it's a it's a earworm song and I understand and I remember the video on MTV and it was one of the great summer song videos of the era in that would it was played on a loop for 3 straight months. So it was inescapable. I get why the hook made it popular popular. Um, I get the era came out why it was going to get played on radio. But can I say it's a good song? Can I say that if I hear it on the radio now, I don't rush to turn it off? I can't deny that that's the truth. Here's here's what I think happened. This was, a lot of times we talk about songs like, oh, this was everywhere, this was popular, fell on Black Days, was on the radio all the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Fell on Black Days, was on the radio all the time. This was a double whammy. This was on the radio all the time because it's a good song. It's like it kind of does everything. It does like the grunge thing. It's like mid tempo, but it's like soars. Like it has. I get. I get why it's popular. It was on the radio all the time, and it was the biggest video of the year. Huge, huge. One of and one of the biggest videos of that entire era. So you weren't at the time when you only consume music on the radio and on MTV. This was always on the radio. This was always on MTV. It is the textbook definition of. Like inescapable pop culture, right? Especially if you were like white kids like us from the suburbs. Like this was the soundtrack of an entire, you know, half year basically. Yeah, and like a band like a Pearl, loop. Pearl Jam, who stopped making videos, even when they had a huge radio song like "Daughter" or anything off of Versus, they weren't making videos, so you weren't also hearing them on MTV. This you could not get away from. 
I mean, I would say since you brought up Pearl Jam, uh, Jeremy achieved something similar. Yes. But correct. I thought that was a, just a better song. Okay. That also now, if I hear that on the radio, I'll probably turn it off just because I heard it too many times. Right. Uh, but this song, yeah, and I and it is a big part of their legacy, and um, so I won't like kill it, but it's not my favorite Soundgarden song. It's That's the most fair. popular one, definitely. But it's not my favorite. How uh, popular was it? How probably? popular was it, Dan? Um, I'm going to tell you in one moment. It oh, was so the third single release, and exactly where I thought it would be released, mid May 1994, setting up perfectly as a song of the summer. Uh, it was it peaked at number two on the modern rock charts. I wonder who held them out. Um, that was me. But it I, finished. I had a single back then. Somehow it still finished as the number one track of 1994 on that chart. I guess because it just hung around yeah. forever, and it did not uh, hit the Billboard Hot 100 chart on one of those weird technicalities. But it peaked at number 24 on the Hot 100 Airplay chart, which is a big deal. It was a mainstream hit, their biggest hit. What else needs to be said? Yeah. Also over five minutes. Long song. It's relentless. That's the other <laughs> thing about it that's a little bit annoying. Like, how many times do you have to say that? No, you need to keep going. Is there a three and a half minute version of the song that oh, would have been better? Let them, let them share their vision with the world. <laughs> okay, I will. Um, here's a song I like better. Ooh. Bob, this is the lead single off Super Unknown. According to our friend uh, Wikipedia, it is often credited as one of the songs that launched Soundgarden's career into the mainstream. I buy that. Peaked at number three on the mainstream rock charts. Uh, and another song that to this day gets a ton of play. It's so funny because there's nothing about Soundgarden that's like gimmicky or quirky. And this is the closest thing they have to something that's like a little got like a little something different to it how could, so well just the way it's like chris cornell singing and then the voice coming in with the uh, distortion on it kind of back and forth yeah i get you yeah that's like they don't really do stuff like that and the even just like spoon man like it's like a very sort of you could what i'm getting at is you could just tell the like room full of execs trying to find the single here it was like done it's the spoon song <laughs> like that's it it's weird it stands out because it does stand out. I also think it's one of the only songs on the album, not even looking at the computer, under four minutes. Like, there's probably not many on here. You're going to ask me how long the song is. I am, because I figured you have it up. But I remember this being, like, one of the shorter songs on the album. 407. Okay. and every, um, But, like, Black Hole Sun's, like you said, over five, and a lot of the other ones are. There's long. a great backstory to this. It was originally written for the 1992 film Singles for the soundtrack. Oh, uh, the Soundgarden along with Pearl Jam working on the soundtrack Jeff Ament of Pearl Jam the bassist they were trying to come up with a fake name they they settled on what Bob? for what? In the fake name and singles of their band 
Come on, Bob. You got to oh know. Oh, my this. God. It's, I haven't even thought about this in forever. <laughs> Citizen Dick, bro. Yeah. It's my fantasy team a year ago. Um, a failed fantasy team. Uh, but one of the it names sucked. was Spoonman. They came up with when they were trying to figure mm-hmm. it out. And that, I guess, stuck in Cornell's head. Yeah. And it eventually turned into a song, which was this. I love this part. Spoons, bro. Wait, I never noticed that. Oh yeah. Look at that spoon man. I think in the video there's a dude playing spoons and Awesome. I love Spoon Man. This is my favorite song of the album. Probably not, but I like it a lot so far. And we do have to pick, Bob, a Spotify uh for our Spotify playlist one song. That's right. What Soundgarden song will follow Justin Timberlake on our Spotify playlist? Who knows? What other whatever what other playlist out there? <laughs> None. All right, here we go. Limo Wreck. Can I mention this album is yet again another example of a band band that you know, show some fucking ability to self-edit. 15 songs on this album. We don't need 15 songs in Super Unknown. You know what we need? 11 to 12. I'll take 13. Too many. Limo wreck. Axe it. Towers ref, whole thing comes crashing down. Put it on, Put it on the board. Chris Cornell racked with guilt. I <laughs> oh, won't even wait. continue oh, that. There we even... go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I instantly know this song, even though it's not one of their more popular songs. Definitely another radio song here. Oh, definitely. Yeah. What a monster album. Not own. It's more like super known because we know all these songs. I fucking hate you. I'll burn this place down oh, and wait. tie you up first. Wait, oh my God, that's murder. You're damn right it's murder. When I walk in here, all I could think about is what it would like look like in fucking ashes. <laughs> you There's really nothing left. God damn. And a fresh start. Is it because of that coaster at the beginning of the episode? Is that Not even a secret weapon, but again, what a weapon this dude's voice was. So good. He t- he, this would be a great song uh, with any of the, the other grunge contemporaries, but Cornell's ab- ability to just take the vocal to the rooftops and above. Yeah.
the day I tried to live, Bob. This is actually the second single of Followed Spoonman. So there was like a slow build to Black Hole Sun, which would become their biggest. Like, I'm sure this was a decent, decently big hit, right? Definitely a radio hit, right? Right, yeah. Um, it peaked at number 13 on the mainstream rock chart, number 25 only on the modern rock charts. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't their biggest hit, but I think... Um, when you look back at this album, they essentially have five songs on it that to this very day are in regular rotation on yeah. modern rock radio, which is pretty amazing for an album that came out 25 years ago. Yeah. It's crazy. What is the song about, Bob? It's about that day that he tried to live. It was like he was really going for living that day. That's right, actually. That's exactly what I just, uh, the, yeah. the research I've come across. That's yeah. what it was. Um, according uh, to my research that I dug through, that you're doing now while we're doing this podcast, <laughs> the song was not really uh, promoted. Oh, as a single in between Spoonman and Black Hole Sun, and yet it still found an audience. I wonder if those same shitty execs that were like Spoonman, the one with the man on it. Let's put that one first. I wonder if when this single came out, they were already kind of cutting ties, and then they came back hard when they realized they had a mega hit album on their hands. I think you nailed it, Bob. I think that's what happened. <laughs> hey, Bob, I want you to break this one down musically. It's Kickstand. What's a time signature there? 3-4. Three, 3-4, four. Three, four, yep. Yep. It's like a 3-4-4-4 four, four, four mix. Where's the uh, the guitar tune? Is it... It's a C. C4 octave, right? Yeah. It's a C. C-note. Nailed it. Yeah. C-note? C-note. It's $100. <laughs> <laughs> this one sounds like if you're like a real sound guy and die hard you love this song well and it's like a minute and a half long so it's fun it's, yeah it's, it's like a it's a good song when you're making a mixtape when you only have two minutes left at the end of the tape that was a thing shove it on there one of my favorite uh what was your go-to end of side A song to fill up? There were a couple of Oasis B-sides that, uh, that oh, Do You Want to Be a Spaceman, uh, which was the <laughs> B-side off, I believe, Shaker Maker, uh-huh. uh, was about two minutes and 15 seconds long, and it found its way on a many a mixtape. There was a uh, Violent Femme song, 36, 24, 36, that was like... 35 seconds long so when you really had like a little bam boom put it on that you got it here's fresh tendrils which sounds gross that's gross two, two quick thoughts Yep. There's nothing more laborious than a kind of nothing grunge song. Yep, I know exactly what you're saying. It's kind of like, eh. Like, I'd rather have like a nothing punk song or pop song. Like, then you could just kind of like go with it. But like a grunge song that isn't really doing anything. It just drones. Yeah. Just like, Not saying Soundgarden fans that Fresh Tendrils is that song. No, oh, you're going to, someone's going to put a fucking bomb in their mailbox. <laughs> I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. You did. You just did. You literally just heard the first 30 seconds of the song (laughs) and then went into a point about how bad grunge is really bad. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Uh, So that was one point I wanted to make. Point number two, going back, 
to the power rankings, did we forget about Smashing Pumpkins? Not grunge to me. You're not putting that in grunge? Okay. That, I was going to ask. Maybe they are. Because when, when you think about when you think about what like, is grunge, disarm and their first album and Hang today, on, I'm Googling, what is grunge? Oh boy, because like when we were listening, what song was it? This was a while ago. I had this thought, but maybe it was Black Hole Sun. Okay, today, but the Smashing Pumpkins puts me in that same place as Black Hole Sun, right? And so I think that kind of I think they're kind of a grunge band. Well, according to Google's dictionary search, it is a style of rock music characterized by a raucous guitar sound and lazy vocal delivery. Ooh, how about throwing some shade? It's a little insulting. The Google empire. Maybe maybe that's what did Chris Cornell in, because there's nothing lazy about this. How about this? Maybe Google's lazy, for that being the description (laughs) of what grunge music is. A lazy vocal delivery? Google, be better. Shame on you, Come on. Google. How dare what you? What does Bing say? Go to Bing. Where does Bing still exist? <laughs> I don't is that know. a thing still? I'm going, what does Jeeves say? What is it Ask Jeeves? Yeah. Is he still him. kicking? Yeah, type in Ask Jeeves. He died in 2007. Heart attack. Ooh, killed himself. Too soon. It's over. It became Ask.com. Oh. But who goes to Ask.com? Nobody. It's over. No. Um, all right. We fell down a wormhole there. Uh, nice job there, Chris and company. Um, <laughs> track 13 of 15. Don't you feel a little bit exhausted at this point? We'll see what comes up. I'm not going to say yes or no yet. Here is 4th of July. mad at Soundgarden for definitely feeding into your whole 12 songs is the best narrative. That's right, though. They're going to really fucking... You're going to have another another example that you're just going to throw at us every time an album is more than 12 songs. For some reason, um, ha- uh, 4th of July skipped to that horrible song we just heard, Half. Oh, that was Half? Yeah, this is 4th of July. Oh, okay. Drunk and high at the end of this album? Probably. Like, nobody's gonna stick around. Like, the record label demanded 15 tracks, so they just, like, find, like, when we were tuning our guitars and checking the mics uh, leading up to the recording process and just make them. Call it 4th of July, half. This doesn't remind me of any 4th of Julys I've ever experienced. Actually, it does to me. A little bit. Some were good, some weren't so good. What's your favorite Fourth of July memory from uh, the '90s? It's when you got our friend Brian fired from his job at the movie theater. What fucking bullshit, Bob! That you would even bring that up. You, I didn't bring it up. You brought it up. I'm just answering your question. It was when we got really drunk. It was like 1997. We didn't get really drunk. We weren't even really drunk. We had probably three wine coolers, which each got of us. us really drunk in 1997. And we walked through town on the 4th of July and our friend Brian had called in sick to work 
And as we passed this place, and by the way, whose decision was that? As we, it still strikes a sore spot. You hate being blamed for this. As we, <laughs> as we walked down Main Street, past his place of employment, and we were all singing Sugar Ray's Fly because it was the song of well, the again, summer. We were all singing. Yeah. Sugar Ray's Fly. One of us. I'm not going to say who, but I guess I already did since I blamed you. <laughs> made a little extra, uh, put a little extra oomph in it to draw attention to us. That and uh, Brian's whoa, 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 boss. Whoa, stop. See, Is that's that, where you got to pull back a little bit. Okay, what? Put a little extra oomph into it to call attention to us. Yeah. That is an incredible reach, Bob. <laughs> hey, you were drunk, buddy. You Brian had, you, made you the might decision. Have had, you might have had four wine coolers. Probably sober at that point. Brian made the decision to call in sick at the movie theater. Right. Okay? Brian made the decision to walk through town with us. Right. Brian made the decision... To sing the song with us. <laughs> and you know what? I did not make the decision to be the colleague of Brian at the movie theater that saw him walking down the street and then narked him out to the boss who fired him. I had nothing to do with any of that. All I was all all I was was there. And the more we talk about this, the more angry I get, not just with you, but with Brian. I was going to say, I don't really... And Brian's have a, a loyal listener of this podcast. I don't really have a dog in this fight. I just know that the way that it's remembered... Do you, Bob? The way it's remembered is that Dan got me, quote unquote, Dan got me fired from my job, Brian. Right. Yeah. It just looks like someone looking to find uh, someone to blame other than looking in the fucking mirror. Fair enough. Counterpoint, Team Brian. <laughs> um... That's fine. I mean, it was a shitty job anyway. <laughs> Do I feel guilty about it at all? No. He'd probably still be there, even though it got bulldozed in like 2002. It, if in this alternate reality where I was singing more loudly than the rest of the group to bring attention, so Brian would, I guess, get fired. If that actually happened, uh, do I feel guilty? I still don't feel guilty. I don't Sounds like a funny moment. Do I feel guilty <laughs> about walking through town singing Sugar Ray's Fly? A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Well, a little shamed at least. <laughs> uh, here is the final track on Super Unknown. Um, in retrospect, it's you know sad title. Like suicide. Chris Cornell committed suicide a couple of years back now um, after a Soundgarden show in Detroit. Uh, so this is like suicide. I have to say the um, one of those moments where you feel like you're getting older. Uh, it was the one-two punch over the course of about a year or a year and a half where Scott Weiland yeah. and Chris Cornell both died. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, we're now old enough where like these guys that were like right. literally the biggest stars in the world um, are being... You know, overcome by their demons, like it's like almost cliche. Like every generation has all these different guys um, that decided they didn't want to be around anymore, or they abused themselves somewhere so much that the body gave out. It is such a bummer that Chris Cornell was one of those dudes because you never got, you never really got the feeling that he was one of those guys. I was gonna say the Chris Cornell one definitely hit me more than Scott Weiland because Scott Weiland was one of those guys who you felt like was living on borrowed time yeah, he was since, tempting, yeah, since 1995. Like 
there were constantly stories about him and he was in and out of rehab and there was no doubt that Chris Cornell was also battling demons but at the same time he was never as overt or as public with it so it did feel like a surprise at least to me as somebody who wasn't so plugged in with his career and the specifics of what happened like he was he had his money he was rich he's successful still had his looks he still had the voice and he did it the night after a sold-out show at a big amphitheater in detroit it was just like what the fuck it's a bummer yeah it's tough um but it's a great album and you know he's had a incredible career and he does i think he is in terms of like cred um i think cobain is always going to be above everyone Mm -hmm. um but at least the guys that aren't around anymore chris cornell is another one of those kind of unassailable figures of the era that everyone even if you weren't a sound garden fan you respected the output you know yeah, I mean, he was a part of your life growing up, whether it was Soundgarden or Temple of the Dog. Like, his voice was just a part of the 90s. No I mean, what. yeah, you brought up Temple of the Dog. Like, the, uh, well, I know, uh, Hunger Strike is yeah. one of the ultimate. I mean, you could argue that Hunger Strike is the definitive grunge song. You're good. Goddamn. Goddamn. All right, here we go, Bob. It's that time of the show. Uh, where we choose a song off Super Unknown uh, to add to our Spotify playlist. Um, I am going to turn the reins over to you on this one, Bob. You had this album. You listened to it a lot as a masturbating teen. And uh, it would only, it's only right that you uh, decide what follows uh, JT. Well, thank you, Dan, fellow <laughs> masturbating teen. I think that to make right for my insult earlier, it has to be Fresh Tendrils, track 12. <laughs> or if you don't want to do that, let me let me whittle it down to two. The Day I Tried to Live or My Wave. I want you to pick out of those two. I'd be, of I'd, those two? I'd be happy with either of those on our playlist. I think they kind of fit the bill. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with The Day I Tried to Live. Love it. Great song. Great band. Great out. A little long. <laughs> a little long. Could have used an editor. A Maybe songs. me. They're probably a Maybe like songs. a 14-year-old Dan Hanses. <laughs> hey, guys. In between bouts. It's like <laughs> the bounce of masturbation and like daily mirror checks to see if I had an underarm hair. <laughs> uh, still I could have been like, guys, let's. This is what we're going to do, boys. <laughs> Mickey we're going to cut half Fourth of July and Fresh Tendrils, and you'll have the definitive album of your generation. <laughs> Mickey Dad was great. He really got um, it. All right. Again, patreon.com slash throwbackpod. Uh, that's what keeps this show going. That's what supports the show. It's the engine, uh, the powers of throwbackpod. So if you want to get involved and support the show, please do that. And if you are currently doing that, we love you so much. Uh, connect with us at throwbackpod on Twitter, uh, at throwbackpod on Instagram, the throwback pod at Gmail to connect with Bob about some shit that you're going through emotionally. I barely look at it. Don't you do should though, Bob, because there might be people reaching out to you in a very well, no. You way. know the login. You could do it too. It's right there for you. No, it's it's a, it's your cross the bear. Uh, fine. It's the least you could do, Bob. Rate and review on iTunes. Thank you. If you're not a Patreone, we expect you to do it now. Yeah, there is a little bit of an expectation there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's it uh, for 
uh, another episode of Throwback Pod. I swear to God, Bob, this fucking place is going up in flames. There's already you could you could feel it. It's coming. Bye.